When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Husk Guys podcast. We got a big one tonight. We are pumped. We're going to have Mitch Sherman on tonight. We're going to make some sense of the Big Ten West race, the Michigan State game, and also talk a little bit about Maryland. But first, we'll talk a little bit about our sponsors. Of course, we've got Pipeline Jerky. Everybody should be buying Pipeline Jerky at pipeline-jerky.com. A royalty of every bag goes directly back to the Huskers offensive line. We're trying to rebuild the pipeline one bag of jerky at a time. Uh, Also, go to huskguysstore.com. If we die, we die. We got some really cool Nebraska merch. We're coming out with new stuff every day. Uh, really excited about some of the new lines we got at huskiesstore.com. And finally, Land and Lore, men's natural skincare product line from the heart of the nation. Made in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, all that sweat and equity takes a toll on you. So probably almost as much as Nebraska losing. We're trying to get rid of wrinkles. Fight back against aging. Take your skincare and overall well-being back. Go to land lorecom and use Huskies10 for 10% off your first order at land-lore.com. And now with that, we'll take you to the show. Welcome to the Husk Guys podcast. Oh, yeah. What's up, Husk Guys? Uh, welcome to the latest edition of the Husk Guys podcast. Uh, we are pumped for tonight's show. We've got my favorite Husker writer on, Mitch Sherman, joining us. Uh, and you know, as we were saying before the show, you know, Mitch has kind of been my Husker therapist over the years. I've read just about everything he's written over the last 10, 12, 13 years. I followed him from ESPN all the way to the Athletic. Uh, I like to say he's my therapist because as you guys have followed us over the years for the Husk Guys, you know that we ride all the highs, all the way up and all the way down. A lot of lows over the last 10 years. Mitch is always there for me. The steady hand. He always writes really well reasoned, rational columns where I ride the roller coaster of just pure emotion. So, Mitch, thanks for joining us. I hope you can talk some sense into this season. Uh, but thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate that. Uh, those kind words. I don't. It doesn't always feel well reasoned and and uh, and measured when I'm when I'm writing those things, especially from the press boxes after some of the games that I've seen in the last five to 10 years, but I'm glad it comes across to you, Dave, at, at least like that when you're, when you're reading, um, you know, there's, there's a, a number of games and including the one Saturday night or Saturday afternoon uh, when, when it ended in East Lansing that I, you know, I just felt like, you know, how do I even make sense out of this? But uh, we try to do it every week and, and, you know, then move on to the next game. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, 
I, I have the pleasure and I, I, I kind of have my, my post game routine after a loss, which you know my wife's now figured out is I have to shut my phone off because I, otherwise I tweet some just horrible things and it ends up, it ends up going in like a dark direction, but you can't do that. You got to like work through it, which I always like, <laughs> I can't believe you guys got to do that. And you have to go to the post game press conference and you got to stay dialed in. I, I imagine you treat it as a job um, as opposed to a fan, even though you're born and raised in born and raised in Nebraska, correct? Right. Yeah. I'm from Omaha and a uh, Nebraska grad. I've lived here through all my years, of course, at the Omaha World Herald and then ESPN when I didn't really cover Nebraska too much for eight seasons. But then in, in 2019, came back and, and you know, wanted to do the, the local stuff again with the athletic. But yeah, it is a job. And at some point you become desensitized to all of the drama and, and or at least you, you try to. But that's easier said than done at times. And you know, it's always more enjoyable to cover a winning team. I can say that and, and still and still be objective and still be professional and doing my job. But, you know, whether they win or lose, you know, I'm I'm going to I'm going to try to make some sense out of it and 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 put it into words. Yeah, I mean, I, and we'd love I know, Andrew, I'll cast you for a sec to um, kind of take us back. We'd love to start kind of with your career and what you've followed over the years, Mitch. But, you know, I, I guess my first question, one of the questions I always have for, um, you know, any writers is as you're in the room itself is you're in the press room and you know how do you remain is it stoic in there is it quiet as you're watching the games like how do you remain you know calm during all like the chaos of the game itself i wouldn't say it's quiet i mean there's a lot of conversations about what's going on um you know in the game and you know if if it's a a uh, like a like a review i mean everybody just like you're in a sports bar or a living room i mean people have their opinions um i would say it's it's less emotional than those kind of settings. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to come at this from, as I said, a professional standpoint, but um, no, it's not, it's not really quiet except when it gets close to the end of the game. And especially in this internet age where everybody is trying to get something on their computer screen that they can get out right when the game ends. You know, when I left the newspapers and I started uh, covering games for ESPN, you know, there was a short period of time that was almost like early in my, my, newspaper career where you actually got to watch the whole game in the press box. And then the, you know, the digital world realized that, Hey, if we can get some content up on our sites immediately when the game ends, then you hit into a window of, of uh, opportunity with the fans. And so we've, we've now embraced that at the athletic too, where in the first couple of seasons that I was back covering Nebraska at this job, we really kind of took our time and we really said our philosophy is going to be the last one to leave the press box. We're going to spend the most time, the um, you know the the the, the mo- put the most thought into the pieces that we that we write, and we still do that. But we we also want to have that instant reaction. So if you've noticed this season, yeah. when the yeah. game ends within ten minutes, I've got just my first thoughts that are up on up on the site. And those generally are written during the second half and then go through a real quick editing process um, as soon as the game's over. You know, in some cases, they can begin to be edited while the game's still going on. But so many of these Nebraska games go down to the last second or the last play. Saturday, you know, as an example, I didn't know who was going to win until that last pass from Heinrich Harburg was batted down. And really, there was a lot of question about it until that drive went off the rails, you know, one or two players plays before that. So I'm kind of trying to write something from two different perspectives. Like if Nebraska wins, I've got these, you know, these nuggets here. If they lose, I've got these. 
So at that point, when that stuff is being put together, the press box, you know, other people are doing the same thing. So at that point, the press box is a pretty quiet place. And if somebody's talking to me, you know, I'm probably tuning them out at, at that point. But in the first half of games, before the games, um, it, after the games, when people are wrapping up, it's, you know, it's very social. And m- many of these writers, you know, whether they're in broadcasters, you know, whether they cover Nebraska or, or other schools that, that were around a lot, you know, were, were, um, you know, we're friends and, and, you know, uh, have, have plenty to say to each other about, about football and all kinds of other yeah. stuff. I, and I, I appreciate that you do take the time to write a well-informed response because my initial tweet is usually, this is the worst team I've ever seen in my life or <laughs> followed by this, the best team and we're going to win the Big Ten West. I never know which direction I'm going to go either, but we just fire from the cuff. It's usually bad. That's why I was like, oh, I got Mitchell bring me back to earth here because I am from a complete the, wild card. To the thumbs. <laughs> Exclude the brain. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, with, with Nebraska football, I think there's something about the way that every season seems to go now that just brings out the the highs and the lows. So I think all fans of all teams, they ride that roller coaster. Uh, but you know, it's, it's been different um, than the norm for sure with these Huskers for the last several years, because there have been so many more lows than there have been highs. And then when there is a high and, and something happens that, you know, is worth cheering about, you know, it's, it's difficult not to, uh, to overreact and think that, you know, Everything is everything is is. Well, I mean, they had a three-game winning streak, and it seemed like they had they had, you know, just taken down Miami in the Orange Bowl. But um, you know, we we, we come back to earth. Purdue, uh, Miami. They're going to come back to earth, right? And and we saw that this week. Yeah. So that was I was kind of building on that. I was looking back through, you know, through uh, the annals of history of uh, of uh, Mitch Sherman history and. So you grew up in Omaha, went to Omaha Burke, then went to Nebraska. But I found it interesting that like your first year of college, you were already covering the team. Yeah. And so you just jumped right in. And that was 1993, which was a heck of a year to start journalism on Nebraska football. And you had quite possibly the best four or five year stretch in history to be a journalist for the team, I guess. Yeah, right place at the right time as a student. It didn't really leave me with a whole lot of question about what I wanted to do for a career when I got done with that, because I just figured that was that was how it was. I mean, you know, hey, when you're in college and you do a job, um, you think that that's how the job's going to be when you get when you get out and into the professional world and the real world. So, you know, I figured I'd be covering national championships uh, for you know the next <laughs> thirty or forty years. I mean, I mean, seriously, <laughs> if only maybe not maybe not that. I mean, I think I was by the time I was twenty two, I, I was old enough to figure out that this was a pretty special time in Nebraska football history, but there are things about covering a team like that, that you take for granted. Um, and some of it is just like the intense um, interest that the, the, the audience has and, you know, covering a five and seven team is a lot different than covering a 12 and O team. Um, just in the sense that you really have to work to keep people's interest. Like I could write anything about a team that's playing for a national championship and, yeah. You know, the readership numbers, the engagement is 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 going to be there. It's going to be through the roof. But, um, you know, these these recent seasons, really the last 20 years around Nebraska. And again, I haven't been day to day around it the whole time. But for a lot of that time, I have. And, you know, it causes you to to have to do a lot more uh, in the creative way to, to keep people involved. I mean, writing about things that are 
um, far removed from the play calling and the, 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 the minute by minute, the depth chart, stuff like that. I mean, I have stories that I try to write, you know, if not every week, um, mm-hmm. several times a month that are about aspects of the team and aspects of the program that you're not necessarily thinking about on Saturday afternoons. And I think those are some of the stories that, you know, people want to hear and people enjoy. They don't know they want to hear them, but when they, when they do hear them and read them, they enjoy them the most. Uh, the time that I was in college, that stuff wasn't really necessary because the team was just, it was, um, uh, it just captured everything uh, about what the fans would want. They lost three games in the five football seasons that I spent as a, as a student, student oh, journalist. Gosh. And, you know, the, the last one was, was, uh, you know, I was nearing graduation and, and I was working for the Omaha world Herald and in the 97 season, but, you know, I was still an undergrad and I count that as my time in school. Yeah. 60 and three in those five years. And, you know, it, it ended up with, with Tom Osborne's retirement season. And, you know, that season had the Missouri game. I was on the field for that at the end wow. and, you know, wow. beating Peyton Manning in the orange bowl. So, uh, I'm, I'm really glad that, that I was around for that, but it also spoiled me a ton on, on like thinking uh, I knew what this profession was going to be like. So it was, I mean, starting there, I guess you're a student at the time it has to be a little yeah. hard to contain the emotions. Like, was there ever a time when you just, I mean, you're rushing the field, you're <laughs> celebrating with everybody or you're, you're not a journalist. I didn't rush the field with a with a notebook in hand um, unless I was trying to get an interview. Uh, you know, when I first started in college, um, you know, there's this, there's a pecking order with uh, e- even though I was covering the football team my freshman year in 1993. You know, I would get assignments from the sports editor, and um, I think I got to sit in the press box for one or two games, um, maybe, maybe a couple more than that. Um, most of the home games, I don't think I went on the road in '93, but then from '94 on, I did. Um, but in, in that first, in that first year, yeah, it was a transition process. Like I was a student, I was a first year student. Um, you know, I wanted to be able to experience, uh, you know, some of what it was like to be a student, uh, cheering on the team. Um, but then, you know, it wasn't really hard for me once I did step into the press box or, you know, walk into the, the press conference room in South stadium on Tuesday afternoons when, you know, Tom Osborne was going to take the take his seat at the table and answer questions. It wasn't hard for me to flip that switch and, you know, understand that I had a job to do. I mean, maybe, you know, inside, like in my heart, um, you know, I, I, I felt a certain way, but at, at some point, like that just freezes over and, and you, you know, you get a cold, a cold, mean heart. And say that kind of jokingly, but, but yeah, I mean, by the time 94 and 95 came around, um, I, it wasn't, it, you know, it, I would, I much rather, I much preferred, I, I liked it enough that I much preferred to be on the other side, you know, on the, mm-hmm. on the side where you weren't yelling and screaming about the games. Uh, and maybe it was because it, it, it was, it was, uh, well, they weren't losing games then. So it wasn't like I experienced the, the painful side of it, yeah. but I, you know, experienced the painful side of it in 93 at the orange bowl. I went to that yeah. game not to work. Um, I went to that 90, that, you know, the 94 orange bowl against Florida state, Charlie Ward, you know, and Trev Alberts and the Byron Bennett game. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I sat in the state, I sat in the seats at the orange bowl of that game. You know, I was, I was, I just turned 19. Um, my dad took, my dad took me um, and some buddies. They didn't trust us to, to, 
um, fly to Miami and spend a week around New Year's um, oh, by ourselves funny. on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. So he chaperoned <laughs> us that year and we had tickets to the Orange Bowl and sat in the stands. And I, I will tell you, yes, you know, I sat there and screamed like everybody else. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the next year came around and and I was back at that stadium when they beat Miami and I was working. And, uh, you know, it was it was uh, it was a totally different experience. So and, and since then, that's that's just all it's been. And to feel so good. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the, the things just like looking back on on your career, I mean, you've covered so many different regimes and different types of locker rooms and different types of leadership and everything. Um, I mean, truly, I'm all the way back to the Osborne era, um, other than the gap at ESPN there for a little while, which I imagine you're still connected to the program one way or another. Yeah. Um, do you, I mean, did you have a favorite year or there's, there's just like a ton of drama one year that was super interesting and invigorating and just what locker room, I guess, was your favorite that you've covered? Well, I mean, the, my, the, the most enjoyment I ever got out of the job was when I was in school. And that probably would have been the case whether they were winning championships then or not. I mean, even let's say that you, you took that championship era from the 90s and you moved it forward 10 years so that yeah. it was in my time at the World Herald. I think I still would have enjoyed my job the most when I was getting paid next to nothing and just doing it um, in college. Because, you know, those were my best friends at that time. Um mm -hmm. And, and, you know, we, we, where it truly is a job now, you know, I've got family and, you know, my kids to chase around and uh, I'm going to have a, a daughter in college in a couple of years myself. So yeah. priorities are, are completely different and, and it's, you know, it's your livelihood. Um, back then it was just, man, we're living the life. Like yeah. we're, we're driving around the big 12, the big eight. Um, the first couple of years, first three years that I was in college, it was still the big eight mm -hmm. every weekend. And it wasn't just football. Like we, me and my buddies were going on the road for big eight basketball. And, you know, I remember sitting on the baseline at the Lloyd Noble center in Norman, Oklahoma, like for a triple overtime game with Danny Neese screaming at Billy Tubbs across the court <laughs> and just thinking like, man, they're like, I'm getting, this is like, I'm, I'm kind of paying it there. I'm getting paid to do this. I mean, I wasn't getting paid very much, but it was incredible. Still, I mean, that still sounds and, awesome. Yeah. So there's nothing, there is nothing that compares to that time, all those years. Like my my junior year in '95, you know, everybody knows the '95 football team. And it was, you know, one of the greatest teams in the history of college football. And that was a super interesting year. Well, '94 was a in, super interesting year to cover because that's the year that you had the all the quarterback injuries with Tommy Frazier and the blood clots. And you know, I remember being outside the hospital when when he was released and, mm -hmm. you know, after, and then, and then the Brooke Behringer story, you know, the, the first part of his story before the, the tragic end was incredible to cover. And you had Matt yeah. Terman and Amon Green was a freshman on that team. And I, you know, I'd watched Amon Green in high school. Um, you know, I, I kind of got involved quite a bit from the very beginning, like one way that I carved my niche at the, at the daily Nebraskan was in, was in covering recruiting. Um, recruiting was just getting big with like, yeah. you know, the advent of these companies that like were the precursor for rivals and 24 seven and all that. Yeah. At, at, at the time it was more, you know, it was, it was just all the magazines and, um, and they've tracked recruits and, and somebody figured out that like people were really interested in this stuff and finding mm -hmm. out where these players were going to end up going to college. And, 
you know, I kind of dug into that. And so, you know, when Amon Green, um, when Amon Green was coming out of Central High School as the number one running back in the country and Grant Wistrom was coming out of Webb City, Missouri as a five-star, you know, super prep All-American, you know, I was paying attention to these guys and writing stories about these guys. And, you know, again, it was, it was like, it couldn't have, couldn't have been any more fun. So like those seasons, um, you know, I started to talk about 95, like I'm 21 and I'm going to the, the, to watch the volleyball team and cover the volleyball team, win a national championship that December in Massachusetts at the university of Massachusetts, and then turning around, coming home and driving to Phoenix for uh, the Fiesta Bowl against, against Florida. So those, you know, those memories are incredible and nothing really compares to them. But as far as like the stuff from the time that uh, it became a job, um, I mean, going to the Rose Bowl, I went to a couple Rose Bowls. That was amazing. Um, you know, the, the Nebraska Rose Bowl was, uh, was not uh, memorable from the standpoint of the success in, that Nebraska had, but seeing that Miami team in 01 was something I'll never yeah. forget. Um, and then I covered a Rose Bowl in 15 um, with Stanford and Christian McCaffrey and against Iowa um, at ESPN. Yeah. At ESPN that time I was, I was, I was kind of canvassing the big 10 and doing whatever stories in the big 10, um, you know, caught, caught fire as the year went on. And so mm-hmm. Iowa was, was 12 and 0 that year going to the, going to the big 10 championship had a chance to make the, the college football playoff in its second year, you know, people around the country were screaming that, that Iowa didn't deserve to be in the championship in the, in the, in the playoff. And they almost were uh, lost to Michigan state on, um, you know, a fourth down play at the end of the game or, yeah. or it would have been Iowa in the, in the CFP. And instead they yeah. went to the Rose bowl and got slaughtered by, by a great, a great Stanford team. Um, so the Rose bowl, you know, there's nothing like that environment in college football. Um, you know, the stories that, that stand out, it's more stories that stand out than it is seasons, I'd say. Yeah. And the stories, you know, around, you know, sadly, um, I think for for the for the people who follow the program, sadly, the stories for me that that stand out and have been incredible to cover have been all the ones that involve turmoil with this team. And that's just because the way it's been for 20 years, you know, so the transition with Steve Peterson from Frank Solich to Bill Callahan and then, mm-hmm. you know, with Osborne taking over and, and firing Callahan. And then, you know, the, the Polini years had tons of turmoil that were and even though most of that time I was at ESPN, I would duck into Lincoln and, and, and cover some of that stuff just because it was really compelling. Um, you know, Frost had an entirely new set of st- crazy yeah. circumstances and, you know, yeah. the, 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 I was, the, the, what was going on a year ago right now? I mean, it's November of 2023 and, and one year ago, like that Crazy. month of November around yeah. Thanksgiving was, was like exhilarating from yeah. my perspective to, uh, to try to track what was happening every day because every day it was a new, a new lead and a new rumor and a new coach like that maybe was on the radar of Trev Alberts. So yeah. those stories, you know, well, they're not like covering national championship teams. They're, they're rewarding in their own, in their own way. Um, because it just keeps you on your toes as a reporter. Yeah, we were we we track flights the entire month of June. Yeah. Remember, I kind I kind of miss it. Like it's been nice. We get to do it no, every like. I don't want to do it again, years. but I don't want to do it again. But it's but it's you know I got to say it's fun. Like it's it it gets your adrenaline going. Like last year in early November. I mean, it might have today's as we're taping this is November ninth, November seventh. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what day it is, but uh, um, there was one day in in this first week of November where I was sitting at the airport down you know in Ep- epley 
at in Omaha um, at the general aviation because I'd gotten word through, you know, some some contacts that Matt Rule was flying in from Charlotte and we were tracking planes uh, that, that were going from Omaha to Charlotte. And, you know, as it turns out, I mean, I had binoculars out there looking oh, at, the fence at the, at the, it was kind of embarrassing to say, but really the like hero, the hero just doing need. your job. I just want to be able to go report, you know, for my readers, like, Hey, Matt Rule is here in Lincoln. And, and we didn't get that until after he got hired on the, on the, the Monday after Thanksgiving. And then he said that he came in um, for the Illinois game in October, which was, like, oh. oh, we missed that. Like, really? How do we miss that? And then he, he went with his wife off to Ireland and then they ended up spending a lot of November in New Jersey. All of this stuff, like, you know, me and, and my coworker, Max Olson, wrote about in, in December of last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's super interesting now, a year later, just looking back at it and thinking, thinking about what was going on at this time, you know, 52 weeks ago. It's crazy. Let me, so I guess on that note too, okay, it's, 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 it's such good drama. And actually we, um, our, our handle takes off whenever there's drama too, which is like, yeah. it's a blessing and the curse of it too is, um, you know, right. You know, as, as it's more stable, I'm like, oh, our followers aren't growing as high. Like where last year we were like double our follower count just because it was pure chaos. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> knew what was going on. Um, but I, I guess on the, as a writer of the team who follows them closely and you've followed all of these different transitions from coach to coach to coach, can you tell, um, how well the program is run based on, you know, the access that you have, or like, you know, are you able to say like, okay, this is operationally sound. These guys have it figured out from coach to coach to coach. And if so, how soon can you figure that out? Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, it's not like I can walk into the football offices and, and say, these guys have got their stuff together, but over the course of, you know, months, I think you can get a sense. And sometimes, I mean, we can be wrong. I can be like dead wrong about that. But I will say this with this staff right now. And and I don't just mean Matt Rule and his 10 assistant coaches. I mean, or nine assistant coaches, 10 coaches total. I mean, like the whole operation, like 60 people strong. One thing I can tell about them, and this is not necessarily like any kind of a guarantee that they're going to succeed and win conference championships. There's all kinds of other factors that will determine whether that can happen. I mean, least the least of which is the Big Ten going to 18 teams and bringing in these four Pac-12 heavyweights next year. I mean, that's mm-hmm. gonna that's gonna be as big of a factor as you know whether there's like a little bit of uh, dysfunction going on inside Memorial Stadium, but I, I can see a I, I can I, I can see like the organizational operation and how it works. It's it, when when it's really hard to hide if yeah. things are a mess inside a big operation like that. Um, I mean, conversations that I have with anybody around the program, it becomes pretty evident in a hurry whether they know what they know, um, you know, just how, how to run something, how to run the system efficiently. And I don't mean like how to call a game or how to make a game plan or how to go out and recruit a, 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 a linebacker. I just mean like, it's, it's so much more than that, that there's so much more than that that goes into running a college football program 
that all of like the peripheral stuff, I think if there's one, if there's one thing I've learned in this area, it's kind of how to gauge that because I've seen, and so have the others who've covered this program for a long time, we've seen so many different forms of that organizational structure. And mm -hmm. some coaches have been really good at that through these last 20 years and others have been really bad at that. And, um, it's a, it's a part of it. It's a part of the whole formula that leads to success. You know, great organization doesn't guarantee success and chaos and dysfunction within the organization that doesn't lock. It doesn't guarantee that they're going to fail, but I think it's, I think it's a pretty big factor. So it leads yeah. me to be optimistic about Matt Rule in this group because they really do they really do have you know you know that they they they're pros in the way that they're going about this. Like and there's no question about that when when you go in the weight room. And I you know I've been in the weight room when guys are coming in and working out and going to going to visit with Mitch Cholowinski, their sports science guy and seeing Corey Campbell and you know, his assistance in there, or if you go into, um, you know, other parts of the football office and, and you know, I, I haven't been throughout every part of the football office, but I've had conversations with, you know, the assistant coaches out in the, you know, out in the wild, whether they're like at a satellite camp or at the mm -hmm. AFCA convention last year and have met their, you know, their people who run, who run the, you know, I mean the, the, the hierarchy as they have it right now, is they've got a general manager um, with in Sean Padden, and then they've got um, basically the the director of operations in Susan Elza, and like they've both got their you know their people who are under them, and knowing the two of them, as as I've gotten to know them a little bit mm -hmm. over these last, I mean Susan came on in like February of last year, so you're talking about like eight or nine months. Um, I'm just really impressed with the, 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 like I said, the organizational structure, and it, it leads me to be confident that, um, you know, they're going to find answers to, to a lot of the challenges that they face moving forward. Yeah, I think that was, I mean, that's a great answer. I think it's partially a leading question because I, I, I do feel that I think as fans, you feel that there is, you know, he's on his, you know, Matt Rule's coach, what this is now his fourth stop. You know, he seems to know the notes to play, but also he seems to know how to build the program and, you know, I think a lot of times with Frost, it felt like we were learning together. Like he was learning how to become a head coach and trying to like, you know, learn as we, as we went, as opposed to having a plan. So I, yeah, I guess I'm glad you feel that too. <laughs> it's encouraging. Anytime yeah. you have somebody who's actually sounds, close to the program. It sounds like he said, we're never going to lose again. I mean, pretty close between the lines, but I, yeah. And it, and it, right. Never, never, never again. I mean, that Michigan state loss was the last one in the history of the program. And That's great to know, you know, right. And I mean, we're going to quote that. It, it, it leads, you know, like when I say what I said about rule and his, 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 the structure of his organization, I mean, I think the people will wonder, well, you know, what, what did you think of, of Frost and, and the way that that, that was run with him. And I mean, it starts at the top and he, he was a coach and, you know, he was a play caller and he wanted to coach. And I don't know how much he, he, you know, rule as a CEO and, yeah. and frost, he didn't, I don't think he wanted to embrace that part of um, that, that part of what it took to be the Nebraska football coach. And, and, you know, his last year, you know, which ended up only lasting three games, he had to do it. 
um, because that was really the only way that he was going to stick around for that fifth season after his conversations with, with Trev Alberts at the end of uh, 2021. Huh. And you could see from, you know, it's not, it wasn't Ireland. It was before Ireland. You could see yeah. from much earlier in that off season that he was uncomfortable with the role of having to, uh, you know, be more of a CEO. And I felt like, by the time they got to big 10 media days in July, like it wasn't a matter of if that thing was going to go belly up, it was, it was win. And I didn't think it would be three games into the season, but you know, I thought it would be five or six. And, and, you know, in that sense uh, again, like the writing was on the wall and it was easy to see, but sometimes with these things, it's a lot more difficult. And, you know, there've been other coaches who came before frost and rule where, um, you know, you thought you had a read on how it was going to go and, and it, 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 uh, you know, ended up unfolding a different way. Gosh, that's super interesting. I mean, that's, I, yeah. And that, that media days, I mean, people will remember, he just went up on the he podium, like, just like he had never done it before. <laughs> yeah. He's no, no, no opening statement. No, he just was like, what do I do here again? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure you probably saw that too, Mitch, where we were also, I, I, you know, hand up, I was emotionally invested because he's my favorite player growing up. You know, he's, he was my favorite quarterback for the nineties that I think we were all just wanted it to work so bad. Um, so I think that, I don't know, there's, there's so many pros and cons to it where I do think rule is able to come in more as an outsider. You don't have as much of an emotional connection to him trying to be successful. Right. He's, he's operationally sound. He's playing a CEO role. He's doing all things right. Um, let me, but I do want to ask, and I know we're going to jump out of order here, Andrew, but I'm, I'm so kind of going down this field route when you're in the press box and, you know, kind of want to dig into this Michigan state a little bit, or at least the season as it's going on, um, as you're coming into the season. So now we're talking about like the operational side and our the actual games themselves. Do you know, um, as you're watching pregame warmups or as you're watching, you know, the first couple plays, so you've seen enough games, do you have a handle of like if we're going to win or not. And I, I, this is again, a leading question. Cause I feel like in the last handful of games I've seen after like the first drive, I'm like, okay, this team's either going to win or not. Right. Like I, I felt like that the goal line stand against Illinois is like, okay, this, mm-hmm. we're winning this game. Purdue is like, we're winning this game. That Michigan state first drive was like, this is bad. This team is not here. Do you, do you see that? Cause you're on the field or you're in the press box. Can you see it earlier than I see it? Cause I, I feel like I can see it within three plays, whether the team's there or not. I mean, I, you can always make a you can always come up with a with a guess and i don't think that how the team comes out of the tunnel and plays in the on the first drive is necessarily all that indicative of the way it's going to go for 60 minutes now you can look at the illinois game and say yeah hey they they had a goal line stand and that's great but they also let illinois drive 80 yards to get to the 1 yard line so sure. that drive wasn't it wasn't all I mean, if you, I'm sure if you, I'm sure before the goal line stand, if Illinois would have scored on fourth and one, um, you know, you probably wouldn't have felt very good about the way that game started. Instead, it's the complete opposite. And Nebraska throws a long pass to get out of the, to get out of there and, and they're off to the races. And, and, you know, that game, you know, while it wasn't like in the bag uh, the whole way, it, it, Nebraska had got the bounces, it got the breaks, it, it did the little things that it needed to do to win. And that's kind of the opposite of what happened at Michigan State. No, I, I mean, I, I, I'm i not like some football savant who, uh, you know, can get a read on 
how the team's going to perform based on the way they look in warmups. And, you know, while the view is different from the press box, because you can see, um, obviously you can see the whole field. And uh, the importance of that, I think, is like you can really see body language. You can really see like how quick guys are getting back to the huddle, you know, right. what they're what they're doing um, as far as like their inter their interactions with each other on the defensive side after a play. You know, are they excited? Do they look like they want to be there? Um, you know, what's going on away from the ball? How are the, how are the, how's this, how are things happening on the sidelines or players coming back to the sidelines and going and sitting on the bench and hanging their heads? You know, how much are they, are they going up and like talking to their coaches and not just their coaches, but like, I'm going to have a story later this week about a player on this team. who's like a coach on the sidelines, you know, are they going up to their, to their, to their teammates um, who are the backups and listening to them? Uh, and so I try to watch that stuff, at least in the first half of the game before I have to bury my head in my computer, um, unfortunately, and 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 start start writing. I mean, fortunately, like uh, that's 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 what we have to do. That's why we how I it's how I keep my job. But um, I, I, w- I do like to watch the whole game. That would be nice. And sometimes I feel like I'm only watching the first half, which yeah. really stinks when the games are decided in the second half. But yeah. sometimes things will happen in the second half of the game and somebody will say something to me like on Saturday night and I'm like, yeah, I got to go back. I, I always have to rewatch the game. I mean, mm-hmm. not just the second half, like the, the, the whole thing. Um, and I noticed a ton of stuff um, watching it the second time through that I didn't see in the press box, you know, mm-hmm. even the parts of the game where, um, you know, I thought I was watching close or I was watching close, you know, it helps, it helps to have the, um, the replays and the announcers and they kind of guide you along. And I think, uh, you know, one example of that is, is with all the different calls that, that went against Nebraska or didn't or didn't get reviewed things like yeah. that in the in the Michigan State game like yeah I watched the the Malachi Coleman um, pass interference call live I was like pass like you guys hit by a truck I saw that I saw the face mask against Harburg but there were other the things that happened in that off. game you know I I could see the replay on the TV above me and like I don't have a great view of it it's not like a seventy five inch TV. Like I might like somebody might have in their basement where with uh, yeah. with Tony Blandino or Dean Blandino, um, <laughs> like like ta- talking talking to him through through the replay. Dean um, was ready to fight the refs. Yeah, right. Like I don't I don't have that. I mean, some you can you can listen in in the press box, but I also want to be able to have conversations with the other people who were sitting around me too. So I'm not usually listening to uh, the TV broadcast during the game. Um, but you definitely you get a different experience watching it on TV. So I think sometimes there's an advantage in being able to get a sense while you're at, while you're at the, you know, at the stadium um, on like how the game's going to go before it, it it totally takes shape. And then other times it's the opposite. Like you Mm -hmm. might have a better, you might have a better sense, you know, based on what the, what the TV broadcast is giving you. So, um, you know, by and large, I think it evens out. Like, like, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I'd much prefer to watch a game in the stadium any, any day, but that's just, that's, you know, just like, that's just old habit. Um, And, you know, I I think you, I think you have a, you have an opportunity to see more and overall for my job, like being at the stadium before the game is beneficial. A lot of schools allow the, the media to go on the field before the game and, you know, Nebraska, Nebraska, you can do that. And I always take advantage of that. Um, You know, if it's, if it's uh, pouring rain, no. But um, yeah. if, if if it's feasible to go down there and and spend forty five minutes during warmups just walking around and listening to conversations and talking to people and stuff like that, then that 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 does that does it gives you a little bit of sense of 
of what the mood is that day. But there have been plenty of times where I feel like, man, you know, I don't, I don't think they're feeling it today. I think this, this, I, I get the sense that they're going to, they're, they're, this is not going to be a, a, a good performance and they come out and they look great. So yeah, I'd love to be proven wrong. I just, I've seen it, especially in the last four games in particular, where like we're throwing interceptions or we're fumbling on the first play of the game. And it's like, if the, if the defense is standing up to them, I'm like, okay, Purdue's not going to gain a single yard. You know, Illinois just has their no, no chance. Northwestern has no chance, but then Michigan state broke through. And I instantly had this like, Oh boy. Oh, like I just did not, I didn't feel good about that game from start to finish. The defense didn't seem to have it. You know, the offense hasn't had it basically all season. It's one of the worst offenses of all time, but <laughs> at least our defense yeah. is elite. Yeah, I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it in East Lansing either. Um, and part of it was probably the first drive, but you know, it was more. It was it was more just like through the first half of watching mm-hmm. the defense. I just thought they're just they just didn't quite have the same no. um, the same kind of energy. That we've yeah, seen from them during the during the previous three games. Yeah. So when you are, I mean, you have a unique perspective, like taking that uh, um, time at ESPN and being a senior writer with you know, recruiting and everything. Mm-hmm. More of a national perspective there, I guess. But in terms of, um, you know, how do you feel like Nebraska is positioned, and how do you feel like Rule's approach to recruiting has been so far? Like when you watch these games and you say, here's what we need, do you feel like we're hitting those needs so far? And if not, what do you see us going after the most in the transfer portal? Yeah, I mean, it's a scary time in college football for Nebraska. And it would be even more frightening if like they were one year behind where they are now and you were in this, like if if Nebraska was going through like we talked about that November of 2022, which is one of those memorable months in the program. If that was happening here in 23, like on the, on the verge of this conference shift, I mean, the big 10 is just going to be a different beast next year Mm -hmm. and, and forever moving forward. Um, So at least Nebraska has got this one year under its belt where it was able to establish like some kind of an identity within the program. And I think some standards for what, um, this coaching staff and the administration, like what they want. If you were starting at square one, like on December 1st of this year, mm-hmm. and then, you know, a few months later, here comes USC, Washington, Oregon, UCLA, you know, I, I don't know. Um, that would be really hard for, and it's going to be hard for Nebraska anyway, but it would be, it would be, yeah. it would be monumentally more difficult. Um, yeah. So this year has been really valuable for them um, to just like get their footing. And you look around the league, and you see so many teams that are scrambling and, you know, making like, I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe they're not rash decisions, but they're like decisions that illustrate the urgency of the situation. Like, I mean, I don't know that Iowa is firing its offensive coordinator. I mean, they, they've never done it um, yeah. until now. And I realize they've got a new person in the, uh, a new leader in the athletic director's chair. And probably this probably wouldn't have happened if, Gary Barta hadn't retired, but, mm-hmm. you know, nonetheless, like they made this decision. And I think it's in some way uh, shaped by the fact that like college football is changing. And if you're not fixing your problems and getting ahead, um, mm-hmm. then you're falling behind. And like the old way of doing things, whether it's at Iowa or Nebraska or, you know, um, USC is, you know, isn't necessarily going to work in the, in the world that they're walking into. I mean, it's why, um, you, you know, you look around the league and like, Northwestern is going through change. 
you know, presumably, I mean, they're, they're going through change for sure. What, whether they have a new coach next year remains to be seen, but mm-hmm. um, Michigan state's going through a wild time. Michigan is going through this craziness um, with the signal stealing. And, you know, I would, I would expect there's going to be a lot of fallout in the off season yep. um, all, programs all over the league, um, yep. you know, are, are, are kind of in the, in flux right now. So, I feel good about where Nebraska's at because I think Matt Rule has done more than you would normally see from a first-year coach. I think he's he's walked into a situation at Nebraska where he was able to kind of um, mold his system to the players who were here instead of you know trying to like you know he didn't start from he didn't start from scratch he he yeah. he found a way you know to to strike a balance in using the the players that they had with with the system that he brought in and, and he's been adaptable. He's had to be adaptable with this offense. They've been adaptable with the defensive personnel. Um, you know, he used the portal, but it wasn't like a complete rebuild. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, you know, and it remains to be seen. I mean, this team could still win eight games. They could finish five and seven. Um, and that's a huge difference as far as like what it's going to feel like going into next season, which is why I think this month of November is so, is so incredibly important for the future of the program, because, you know, if you can get, even just to bowl eligibility, but I mean like seven wins, um, you know, eight's probably, probably uh, a little over, over, uh, overreaching as on the optimism side. But I mean, Hey, if they can do it great, like that's really going to make a difference in just the, the, the way that they are able to walk into, you know, what is a, a changing era. Um, you know, as for what happens in the off season. Yeah. I mean, I think they're going to be back in the portal um, probably more heavily than, than what rule would have said uh, three or four months ago. I mean, I think this one thing this season's done, obviously on the offensive side, is like expose the the needs that they have and the way to the, the way that you fill those needs um, in a short time um, to kind of keep up with the changing the changing uh, landscape is to go to the portal. And I'm sure yeah. it's going to be a huge year for portal entries. Um, you know, just the way that college football has been this year, and like with with players all over the country. You know, knowing the opportunities that are going to exist for these major programs that are changing, changing leagues. Um, uh, there, there's uh, the number. I would guess the numbers this year going into the portal in December are going to be even bigger than what they've been the last couple of years, which, you know, is going to is going to um, entice a, a team like Nebraska that has holes to fill to yeah. go out there and, and and do it through the portal. So, I, I, I mean. We can talk about specific positions if you want. Like, if you want to, they're going to they're, they're going to go get a quarterback from the pool. Well, I, I want to. Yeah. So the, the quarterback one is I'd love to get your perspective on. And and yeah. um, so I, this one and and this is I, I'd love to kind of get you, you spoke a little bit about it on your show. You know, the average Joe Sports Show, which everybody should tune in there and also subscribe to the Athletic. Shout out the Athletic. The uh, I'm so confused by Jeff Sims to be honest, and I, I guess I'm. It's hard to. You know, you kind of mentioned like maybe he was hurried in the process and he didn't have an opportunity to fully vet Jeff Sims. But he also, I mean, you look at his numbers, you know, this guy's got 5,000 plus yards, 30 plus touchdowns at Georgia Tech. He's played football before and then seemingly shows up here and looks like he's never played football before. And they seemingly have no confidence in him to put him back in the game at, at all. You know, do you think he just got overwhelmed by the system? And then I guess that, you know, as a follow on to that, like, I can't quite tell what he's trying to do at the quarterback position if they go to the portal, right? Because they've recruited Kalen, who's kind of more of a dropback passer. They've got, you know, they're playing with Harburg now, maybe just out of necessity. Sims is dual threat. Like, 
talk about the quarterback as a whole. What happened to Sims, and then what do you think they're going to go do? With Sims, yeah, I mean, I think it was, I think it was uh, an unfortunate result of the circumstances. And you know, Rule came in and he had to build a staff. He had to build a, a recruiting class for for twenty three. Had a lot of work to do on that. Um, you know, they had some some misses on the coaches that they tried to hire. Um, I mean, not, not a ton, but like, you know, there were a couple of times where he had to go back to, you know, the drawing board on a coordinator or a quarterback's coach or a receiver's coach. And um, it wasn't, it wasn't probably as smoothly as, as he would have hoped that that process could have gone. Um, I think he ended up with a good staff, but it took him, it took him some time like it does for most coaches. I mean, unless you're, you know, coming into Georgia because Kirby smart goes to the NFL and, and, you know, that's probably pretty easy to just like pick and choose the coaches you want, but that's not the situation at Nebraska. So, um, you know, then objective number, whatever it was, two or three is like, hey, we got to get a quarterback from the portal. And he's seen Jeff Sims because he's a friend of Jeff Sims, former college coach at Georgia Tech. So yeah. he's kept tabs on Jeff Collins teams, which I, which I, I find a little strange um, that Matt rule, the coach of the Carolina Panthers was closely watching Georgia tech because he had this coaching history with Jeff. Co I mean, I, there's plenty of guys he had coaching history with, and I don't know that he's watching all their college teams. So I don't know if some of that's just like, you know, some hyperbole exaggeration, but rule does watch a ton of football. Like, I don't know where the, you know, where the time in his day allows him to like, watch like every single practice from Nebraska last season, including the spring practices. Like, where did he find time to do that? Yeah, obviously you watch the games too. So I don't I don't know if he sleeps, but um yeah, so he does sleep. I would like him not sleep. Sleep is for the week. If we die, we die. Right. But exactly. But if if uh you know, and he's got to write these locker room speeches too. So um, they're, they're all they're all ad, they're all ad libbed. He says, but yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, he re, he clearly relied on on Jeff Collins um, mm. with Sims, and you know that is interesting. I don't I, I don't I don't know that I go back to Jeff Collins for another recommendation if I was yeah. if I was Matt Rule because yeah, yeah. there were red there were red <laughs> flags there. That despite those numbers that you that you read off about Sims at Georgia Tech, there were some red flags there about like some of his, um, you know, just just like his ability to be um, the kind of leader that Georgia Tech needed. I mean, great mm -hmm. athlete, yeah. and I'm not saying anything about like his character, or, or but 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 it's it's like some guys have it, yeah. and some guys don't. Like some guys yeah. when they walk out on the field, like watch C.J. Stroud. For the first year in the NFL. Incredible. Incredible. And you see him go out there with what 20 or yeah. 30 seconds left on Sunday Sunday. And it's just like he's kind of that he's guy now where you just get the you just know he's gonna get it done. And there have sure. been quarterbacks like that, you know, all over the place throughout college in the NFL. That isn't that isn't the feel that I get about Jeff Sims and a, a ton of Nebraska, you know, really all the Nebraska quarterbacks in recent years, but that's not the feel that I think people had about him at Georgia tech either. Mm, so, yeah. um, so I don't know. It was a, it was a swing and a miss. That's, Do you think he'll play the rest of the season? I, I, you know, he's at four games. 
Um, I they they're not saying that they've had these conversations with him about yeah, uh, you know preserving oh, a year, but wow. it's probably in his mind if he wants to play more college football. I mean, if if, he's, if you see Chubba Purdy come in, um, yeah, if Harburg you know loses his helmet, I guess then you know that you're probably not going to see any more of Jeff Sims. I, I think whether we see him or not, um, you know, he's not going to he's not going to come off the bench and and lead Nebraska to a to a great you know, offensive, uh, you know, comeback or something like that. I think they, they, they have what they have in Heinrich Harburg and that's what's going to get them to their final win total at this point. So this year though, I guess if he goes to the portal and this is, I mean, probably the, I think the single most important position, I'm sure everybody thinks that too, but you look across the league and all top 10 teams have an elite playmaker. Um, yeah. you know, the, the Jalen Milrose, the, um, yeah. You know the Bo Nix is like across the board. They got is that what he's looking for? Or do you think he's looking for more of the, you know, the Kalen manager? Yeah. Well, I mean, hey, yeah. If you can get the if you can get the next uh, uh, Michael Penix, like you're gonna yeah. you're gonna get that guy. Caleb Williams. You, know, you, you get Caleb Williams, right? You know, Drake May. They're out there. Um, not that those guys are readily available in the portal, but you know, a lot of these players. I mean, Penix came from the portable port the portal yeah. Bo Nix came from the portal Caleb Williams came from the portal more more of the great quarterbacks um than not uh end up end up transferring at some point in their career and you know you gotta as a head coach and as a staff you know you've got to find a way to develop an in or have something about your program that stands out to a player like that and some of its development too I mean the Bo Nix that we see at Oregon right now is not the Bo Nix that yeah. played at Auburn. I mean, right. that, that guy was, that guy was up and down and, and right. there was a reason he transferred. It wasn't, it wasn't going well there. And now, you know, he looks like he's going to be in New York next month. Yep. So um, it's a complicated formula to find, like if it was easy, you know, everybody would do it, but it's, it's a complicated formula. You know, NIL is of course a factor in that too, in, in today's college football. Yeah. So whatever it is, they got to find a way to do it right because it's the number one factor that's either going to allow them to get to the next level in a hurry or that that's going to hold them back and, and prevent progress after, you know, what seems like, again, three games that are important in this, what seems like it's going to be a promising first season. The number, the formula that's going to work is if there's somebody who used to play for Nebraska's kid out there <laughs> who happens to be a good recruit, that's it. I'm, I'm holding out hope that he transfers at some point over the next four years and so until, many... he gra- until he graduates. I'm holding out. <laughs> Go take your I mean, paycheck. So, so like, are you home. talking about Joe Burrow? Or are you talking about Dylan Rayola? Um, <laughs> <laughs> God, all the misses they're, because they're, but well, no, oh, I mean, no, they're both, they're both one, one obviously like I, I, when you first said that, I thought it was, a, it's a joke. It's a, that's a joke about no, Joe. It's a Rayola. Burrow. Give me that Rayola, Rayola baby. Thing. Right. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't know that. Uh, I <laughs> don't know that, that they're, Mitch, they're the never get, I don't know that they're ever going to get Dylan Rayola to come out of the transfer portal. But um, you know, uh, Dominic does have a younger son um, who's playing JV football at, uh, at Buford High. Um, there we go. Behind his behind his brother, I you know I wouldn't put all my eggs in that basket. Um, <laughs> I, but but initially, like I like I said, Dave, I thought that was a thought that was a Joe Burrow comment. You know, the son of an of an ex Husker who they you know, could have had out of the portal, all of these, you know, the whole, um, the whole, like um, the whole world of, of former Nebraska football players in the, the their offspring. Um, you know, it's, it's a, 
it leads to some interesting storylines for sure. So, so good. um, All right. Well, Mitch, we're at an hour. I want to be respectful of your time. We really appreciate you coming on. I know it's late. Uh, I want to ask you one final question then on putting you on the spot. How do you think uh, the last few games play out? And are we going to Indianapolis? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to, going to go down the road that they're going to, no, I don't think they're going to go to Indianapolis. Um, It's probably a good thing um, in the, in the long run, because whoever does go is, is going to get, get sacrificed at the, uh, the altar of of, uh, Michigan or Ohio state. But um, I do think they'll get to bowl eligibility. I think they're going to find a way, you know, none of these three teams left on the schedule are all that scary. Um, I mean, Maryland, I think has the potential to be a scary team, but, it's lost four in a row and, and, you know, losing to Illinois and Northwestern, like at least should give Nebraska a good sense that it can, it can win that game. Nebraska can win that game. Nebraska can, can beat Wisconsin, Wisconsin. I mean, it's, it's Wisconsin being five and four is tremendously disappointing for that team and that program and those people in Wisconsin right now. Like they're not feeling good about their program anywhere close to the same way that Nebraska is, feeling about being five and four at this very moment. So yeah. that's a, that's a, that's a, a, a something that's, the, it's, it's an opportunity that's there for the taking when the Huskers go to Madison, despite not having any success there in their, in their time in the big 10. And then Iowa, you know, it's going to just be a race to 10 points, I guess that Memorial stadium on, on black Friday. So I think they'll get, yard. yeah, I think they'll get one of those games. I think Nebraska is not going to gain a yard. Yeah, that could happen, but um, <laughs> neither team will gain a yard yeah. at all. I think they'll get there. I think they'll get there um, to bowl eligibility and, and, you know, it's a coin flip on like, if they get to seven wins, Um, I think it's, it's very possible. So um, I'll put the over under at six and a half and, and I'll tell you after Saturday, if I think which way they're going. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that after the last handful of years, but gosh, it's like, I think what's killing us is, you know, it's like, we're so grateful to be at this five and four, but then you're also like, what a blown opportunity against Michigan state to lose to a team that has lost six straight games. Like just, it's like right there for us. This is, I mean, the the thing that we've been harping on every single week is this is the single worst schedule we've ever played and ever will play ever again. And it's just killing me. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. next year you got USC, you know, you got USC and UCLA and all these teams coming in and it's like, why can't we just beat? You can't just beat a Michigan state team without a coach that's lost six in a row. Anyway, we're not some positive vibes, but um, Mitch, thanks for coming on. We've got some pipeline jerky heading your way to send us your address. Awesome. Uh, oh, I can't see it right now, but Pipeline Jerky, we created it. This is our uh, NIL business to help uh, try to build back the offensive line, direct royalty to the uh, offensive line, all 10 players that are on starters and backups on there. So we've got some headed your way as soon as you send us your address, Mitch. But thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. It's been uh, it's good to chat and good to meet you yeah. in person for the first time. Yeah, that was a fast hour. Thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Mitch. A Heard at Sports Network production. <laughs>